hey, this is Steve Thompson, and we've pulled up to our very last passage in Daniel. But before we jump into chapter 12, I just want to recognize a few things that maybe some of us have been thinking. Now, if you've been around the Christian block for a while, maybe you've read Daniel more than a few times, um, then maybe we've put Daniel in the category of end of the world apocalyptic, probably along with the book of Revelation. But during our podcasts and messages, you've probably noted that there's been a distinct lack of focus on the end of the world and a total absence of formulations and prognostications about what that's going to look like. So I feel the need to explain that this isn't because we're ignoring the material in question. It's because the original writer was not primarily concerned with passing along a secret code to be discovered and figured out by a special civilization in the distant future. The writer was asking for and receiving a revelation and uncovering a revealing an apocalypse of what God was doing in their time and place when it seemed like God was losing and God's people were getting decimated. These dreams also revealed very clearly what was about to happen in their not-too-distant future. And then, much less clearly, they also revealed in layered depth, telescoping across time, accordioning across time, how these things would repeat themselves throughout history leading up to the very end. But uh, how it ends roadmap was never the focus. The writer wanted to share these visions and dreams with the readers in order to encourage them to keep pressing on, courageously facing the worst of adversity with rebellious faithfulness. Rebellious faithfulness that looks like seeking and worshiping the Lord, God Almighty, who holds all nations, all powers, all principalities, and all their futures in his hands. The writer wanted to inspire God's people everywhere and in every time to rebellious fidelity. This message is still encouraging followers of Jesus to endure nonsensical levels of oppression and persecution. Now, I've heard it said that the 20th century was the most violent and deadliest for Christians. More Christians have been martyred in the last hundred years than in all the previous centuries combined. Now, I haven't been able to corroborate this statistic from a reliable researcher anyways, um, nor am I completely certain that this isn't maybe just somewhat of a function of population growth. But regardless, we do know there are many Christians around the world suffering right now as a direct result of their faith. And books like these speak immense encouragement to say, you're not alone. This is not meaningless. Your suffering is not going unnoticed. Yes, God still is in control. And yes, God will use your faithful rebellion, even to the point of death, as part of the conquering and redeeming process. So don't stop believing. Don't stop worshiping and pursuing me, says God. Uh, I came across this story in a commentary of two Scottish gentlemen back in 1540 AD named Alexander Kennedy and Jerome Russell. They were condemned to burn at the stake for their faith in Jesus. Jerome felt the weight and despair overtaking Alexander 
and chose the words of Jesus and Paul to help him gain perspective on what they were facing. He said this, brother, fear not. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The pain that we are about to suffer is short and shall be light, but our joy and consolation shall never have an end. Let us therefore strive to enter into our master and savior by the same straight way which he has trod before us. Death cannot destroy us, for it is already destroyed by him for whose sake we suffer. And together they endured a gruesome death, but added to the tidal wave of behind-the-scenes overcoming by saints and martyrs across the generation that feels like nothing but weakness and defeat in the physical realm. Now, I get so inspired by stories like these, but I would be completely guilty of missing a crucial warning if we skipped the sobering opposite side of this coin and this reality. Daniel's visions and dreams also tell the story of proud powers that be seeking to spread their influence and prosperity, flourishing for a while, but constantly under the shadow of looming judgment for their arrogant posture. So my brothers and sisters listening right now, none of us live anywhere near persecution. All of us belong to the strongest, most prosperous nation on the world scene at this moment. We are the nation with the most expensive and expansive military spread over the globe. We are the nation with the most billionaires. We are the nation with the most capitalistic influence exporting our entertainment, our businesses, our brand for profit. Now, I'm not saying that any or all of this automatically makes our country and us evil. However, what I am saying is that we are very definitely in the cautionary side of this tale. As U.S. Americans, if we're to take biblical apocalyptic and teaching seriously, we need to find a level of humility that Rome in all its glorious empire never found, that Greece in all its wisdom and might never thought about, that the Medes and Persians never achieved, and even more than Babylon could have learned through Nebuchadnezzar's seven years wandering around as a beast in the field. This book should give us a long and sobering pause to reflect on if our faithful, nonviolent, prayer-filled rebellion of self-sacrificing love is shaping our country, or if our country's values and priorities have discipled us more effectively and completely than we even dared suspect. I don't say any of this because I have an ax to grind against our country. I love the USA. I love living in this country and benefiting from all the freedoms and comforts it has afforded me. They are truly a blessing. But as I read scripture and see this one theme resonate from the perfect beginning in the garden, broken by the fall in Genesis, to the very end where a new Jerusalem is being birthed within fallen Babylon in the book of Revelation, that God resists, opposes, 
takes down and will definitively judge the proud and powerful. But simultaneously, God draws near, gives grace to, lifts up, rescues, and redeems the humble and powerless, both individuals as well as systems and nations. So with that unveiled reality in our minds, let's finish Daniel's book of dreams, picking up where we left off in chapter 11 and continuing with this same fluid vision and narrative of chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret, seal it up the book until the time of the end, when many will rush here and there, and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and saw two others standing on opposite banks of the river. One of them asked the man dressed in linen, who was now standing above the river, How long will it be until these shocking events are over? The man dressed in linen, who was standing above the river, raised both his hands toward heaven and took a solemn oath by the one who lives forever, saying, It will go on for a time, times, and half a time. When the shattering of the holy people has finally come to an end, all these things will have happened. I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, How will all this finally end, my Lord? But he said, Go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials. But the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. From the time the daily sacrifice is stopped and the sacrilegious object that causes desecration is set up to be worshipped, there will be 1,290 days, and blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way until the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. I will just wrap up with two thoughts that grab my attention and that we can meditate on together. God uses trials and tribulations, even the most horrific of persecutions and holocausts, to purify, cleanse, and refine us. What hardship do we face? And don't compare yours with anyone else's, but right now, what hardship are we facing How might God be utilizing something painful and difficult to shape us more into his likeness? The second thought hopefully fuels us through those hardships. Here in Daniel, 
we have the seeds of the theology of resurrection, the hope and belief that death does not have the final word and that death and evil will be ripped apart and destroyed by eternal life bursting through it. Jesus would later guarantee this truth by himself being the one to go first, the first fruits of these planted seeds, and promising that this reality would be ours as well. So for you and me, let's go our way until the end. Live out your days faithfully, worshipfully, lovingly, undermining and refusing to capitulate to the power plays and assimilation tactics of the world. Where do we need to die to these things and pick up our crosses in order to follow in the self-giving way of Jesus? Having embraced a life of continuous dying to self, we will finally come to our physical death, a state as non-permanent as going to sleep at night, so that we will wake up to receive the inheritance that our dad in heaven has for us as fully transformed, exonerated, vindicated princesses and princes in God's new world, fully submitted to the king of kings way of doing things. An inheritance of life in all its fullness, the way it was always designed to be. What we suffer now is nothing compared to what we will inherit and experience then. So I simply end by praying this. Come, Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come and your will be done now, today, on earth, in our world, in our lives, as it is in heaven. Amen.